We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately out. He has been so swamped with end-of-the-year work, and it's going to be a thrill when he gets back here, and he's going to have so much to say about all the movies that he's missed out on talking about. Both. But for now, this is what we're doing. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We like to have these special bonus episodes as well, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is uh, this is this is just like review stuff right now. We got we there's been a lot of movies that have been coming out over the past couple weeks because that's just how things are in December at the end of the year. And we wanted to make sure to cover some of the big ones, which of course applies to this episode because we are talking the Matrix: colon, Resurrections, the fourth Matrix film. The long dormant franchise has returned now. <laughs> we're going to talk all about uh, the Matrix, and that's pretty much all we're going to do. Uh, joining me to discuss the match we have from Forbes. When he's in his car, he loves singing the opening beat of Free Your Mind. It's Scott Mendelson. That is correct. <laughs> so joining us from the Brandon Peters Show and Why So Blue, there's just one thing he has to say. Bullet time is Brandon Peters. I, I guess I'm the rest that will follow. There we go. <laughs> Thank you for following up on the song. Um, how are you guys doing this evening? Great. I'm doing well. Good. Happy. Happy to be returning to the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> One last time. <laughs> happy indeed, and happy holidays, by the way. Merry Christmas and every other, the other ten holidays that are also on this. Is Kwanzaa today that we're recording? Or we're on Boxing Day. Bo- we're on it's Boxing Day. Day. Boxing, boxing Day. Day. I know it doesn't mean this. Kwanzaa also begins today for the next mm-hmm. seven days. Uh, but yeah, we are we're recording here fresh off of fresh off of the the merriness of it all. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about some Matrix. Uh, glad you guys are here, for one thing. Glad that mm-hmm. uh, we've talked about all the Matrix movies together on the various commentary tracks. So it only seems fitting that we finally talk about the this Matrix <laughs> before we decide in five years to be like, let's do a commentary for the Matrix Resurrections. Before we <laughs> resurrect Resurrections for exactly. the commentary. Uh-huh. So, we'll do that for the month where uh, Constantine 2 finally gets made. Yeah. <laughs> or 47 Ronin again. <laughs> Or, um, I don't know, like Fog Journal, the prequel to Cloud Atlas. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Chain uh, reactions. <laughs> or two chain reactions. It'd be a great legacy sequel. <laughs> you get Reeves and Weiss and Freeman back together again. <laughs> um, Brian Cox. You thought you killed me. <laughs> I, I knew it was Brian Cox. I'm like, did he die in that movie? I have no memories. I just knew he did. He's probably the bad guy. <laughs> all right. But yeah, we're going to talk about Matrix, but no real show notes. Just iTunes reviews and ratings as always. Uh, we're putting out all these bonus episodes because we want to. But you know, it would be great to get some iTunes reviews. Pop us up in the old iTunes charts and whatnot. And um, yeah, just stay tuned for more of these fun bonuses. We, and of course, the top 10 show is going to come up soon enough because we're going to have to be at the end of the year. Um, yeah. Uh, before we get to the Matrix, though, we are going to do some trailer talk, because we have a new movie trailer to talk about, and nobody seems to be talking about this movie for, I imagine, reasons. Uh, but Fantastic Beasts, colon, The Secrets of Dumbledore. This is, of course, the latest entry in the allegedly five-part Fantastic <laughs> Beasts saga. <laughs> <laughs> and after we Sorry, discovered those... If we discovered them crimes last time, now we have to learn about those secrets and uh, so this film, once again, David Yates is directing, of course, and we have the return of Eddie Redmayne and Jude Law and Ezra Miller and Catherine Waterston. And now, of course, we also have Mans Mickelson joining the fray as the new Gr- Grimdewald. <laughs> it's a name. that kids love Mad Mickelson. That I, Grindle, yet... Grindle Walden Books, remember? That's a place that once sold the Harry Potter books. Okay. Yeah, was... Grind- Grindle Walden Books. It was right, right next to Slugworks, I'd imagine. Um, mm. 
<laughs> Brandon, let's start with you. Are you are you excited for more Fantastic Beasts? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I'm not like I'm fine with these movies. I'm not like what? Like oh, it's more like oh here here's the next one. And so you're more like la- a kid going back to Hogwarts as opposed to a guy excited at a Quidditch match. You're like yeah, I guess I'm going back. Yeah, it's homecoming. I guess I'm going. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. Like these, like I, I really like the first one. I still enjoy some things about the second one, though. It is a, ooh, um, yeah, it's it's something. Uh, but I don't know what this new trailer is supposed to be telling me about. Like it feels like. I don't know. Feels like some possible overcorrections or something might be had. Like, where's Catherine Waterston in this trailer? Like, there was a gang of four that we were supposed to be getting on board with. Two of them, the boys, they're featured. The girl, one of them, kinda, and then the other, I, I didn't see her. Well, at one all. went and bad, she, right? That was the end of Grindelwald. Yeah, like, one, one, yeah it was. It, it was side. one of the. It was one of the better moments of that second one. Was that crushing part in the finale with that. Um, and the other one, Catherine Washington, I really like, I, I love her as an actor and I liked her character, maybe best of them in this new series. And I'm like, well, where is she at? But you know what? I haven't seen the movie, but you know, I, I don't know. The trailer did not be like, woohoo, we're back. It was just like, oh yeah, that's coming out. And it looks like one of them. I, I don't know. That's not a ringing endorsement though. I do want to see this movie. Scott, how about you? Oh, my pulse is quickening. My soils are, my britches are soiling. My timbers are shivering. Did I do that right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 whatever. I'll see it because it's the job. I, I'm more curious to see it just in terms of what are they going to do to try to recover from the train wreck that was the crimes of Grindelwald. And as someone that thinks that Dark Phoenix was at least better than Age of or than Apocalypse, I mean, even if it's better, I think the damage is already done. Uh, even aside from J.K. Rowling's off-screen transgressions, which I nice think pun should... there, Scott. Nice pun. <laughs> Fitting you. for this movie that we're about to talk about, also. Yeah, that's <laughs> ironic. But you know, again, I, I'm inclined to think stuff like that doesn't impact outside the online bubble. I mean, for no other reason than at the end of the day, the Harry Potter films themselves are still wildly popular on VOD and streaming. But, you know, you're right. You know, Catherine Waterston, one of the main characters in the first two films, is nowhere to be found in this trailer. And, you know, if I'm wrong, then I apologize, but I've heard rumblings she's not in the movie all that much. So it's 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 they went from a film that, look at all these new, delightful new characters in the eventually Harry Potter world to... Okay, now we're going to focus on the villain, and we're going to tie this more into Hogwarts because that's what I guess what people want. To it's now all about Dumbledore, and again, I'm stalling because honestly, I have nothing insightful to say about. Well, this. I mean, let me jump in then because if I, if I wanted to play devil's advocate for a series that I have no real investment in beyond I like those and I'll see them yeah. eventually. Because I, I didn't read the books, I have no real, you know, thought. we've talked about this in the in our Harry Potter commentary, yeah. which you can listen to right now on iTunes. Um, <laughs> but, um, I mean, hasn't the, while we don't necessarily know the entire goal this whole time, hasn't it always boiled down to this is going to be basically an origin story for the whole Dumbledore um, 
uh, Voldemort stuff that just like, and this is how we kind of got there. And then we're using. I, d- I didn't think Voldemort would be any part of this. I, not necessarily this film, but like, it isn't like, isn't kind of building into like the lore of all of that just by using these, 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 these Newt and these other like side characters to kind of etch us into where this came from. I, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, the issue is that I'm having, again, I think this was magnetized in the second film is that we're basically seeing the same story told with a slightly different coat of paint. Um, the first film, I wasn't big on it, but A, I'm in the critical minority, whatever that happens. And B, at least I think it was trying to tell a different kind of story other than, you know, the good wizard versus the dark sorcerer. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I would argue film, the second one still held on to that. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's a really well done film, but it's still... It was. I mean, it, you have major characters that are making certain choices and where their, yeah, where the, where their intentions lie or where they want to go. I mean, it's, it's, as much as I dislike that film, I do agree that yes, it has really good moments in it. And I do think it's not. It's not playing into a, you know, <laughs> it. I I don't think it's playing into certain conventions. I'm curious where this goes, but I can agree with you as far as. Why we need five of these? Like yeah. I, don't, I don't exactly yeah. know yeah. what that's supposed to, to build fair, to. I mean, I'm sure Warner Brothers has had these conversations. They see the same numbers that I see for you know Dark Fate and Divergent Three and you know Terminator Dark Fate and did I say Dark Fate already? I meant Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know sometimes a third time is the anti charm. Um, and I have to assume they're looking at this as okay, we've got a third movie. Worst case scenario, we wrap this up on the fourth one that's just HBO Max. And I would like to think that they have made a third picture that's at least more character-focused than the second film, which I thought was incredibly plot-focused. Very much so. To the the point of repeating things and adding things that were unnecessary. Yes. Wholly unnecessary in a I mean, w- that wild yeah. Oh, God, yeah. That whole like backstory yeah, that like movie. negates flash, itself yeah, as it goes. Flashback. <laughs> that had nothing to do with Yeah, yeah that, that was ultimately like I guess that was a story you told us. <laughs> yeah. Well that's a red herring. Um, Thanks. Yes. <laughs> well here's another question. I mean Well the, I, the trailer Okay, sorry, go because we're talking about like the necessity the necessity of this or what have you. Like I get that it's nice to introduce new characters, and yes, I mean they're fun characters, Newt and and Dan Fogel, Jacob, and um, Catherine Waterston's character, and then yeah. Tina, right? And then she has her yeah. sister, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's not they did cast at the beginning of this whole thing Jude Law and originally Colin Farrell slash Johnny Depp, and now Med. I mean, it, it it is it does feel like we want to tell stories that feature these major stars in them, right? Yeah. Theoretically, I, I don't know what I, the I don't know what the fan response is to Newt and the others as far as like we need to see more of them immediately. I, like it seems like the the, the biggest uh, gain of that was the whole Jacob and uh, Queenie thing, which is still very much present in this. It would appear. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll yeah. Be honest, I I like I like Newt. I I like mm-hmm. Eddie Redmayne as an actor. I mean, I'm not going to say he should have won the Oscar in 2014. Whatever. He should have won but in I 2015 a... for Jupiter Ascending. We all know this. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yes. We've had this episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think he's an interesting screen presence. He is. He gives a very different. Well, he's not you know, typical to Harry Potter, and he's yeah, not yeah. typical to adventure movies. No, he's, he's not really Garrett its Hunter. own thing. Yeah. He's certainly in... his own weird whatever. I don't disagree yeah, I, with you. I do you. find I... that interesting as a protagonist. I don't disagree with you, but is that a? And I mean, I'm just asking a retort because I don't think any of us had the answer, but. Does everyone think that way, or is it just like no. us film people that are like, this is neat because it's different? 
Yeah, I think <laughs> a lot of people aren't crazy about him because he's such an eccentric, idiocentric character. Um, and I'm not they're saying not they're crushing right hard on him. They're yeah, not com- crushing hard. No. Compared to this age of, you know, fan desire, you have Jude Law as Dumbledore. Like, yeah. I'm not saying this is the right decision, but I understand why you would make a decision oh. to have a movie called The Secrets of Dumbledore starring Jude Law. And he says Hufflepuff in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Harry Potter's back, baby! You know it! Like, that's that's a moment in the trailer that I'm like, oh, no. It's a larger it's argument as far as how we're treating our blockbusters. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I don't, I, but I don't, you know, I don't know enough about this film to know what decision I can make on it yet, which is why we're talking about the trailer. But I... It's. I agree with you, Brandon, as far as, yes, there does seem to be, like, overcorrections or choices being made specifically to make it more appealing or marketable. But after the last one, I don't see that as necessarily a bad thing if that's going to make for a better movie overall, even if it, even right. if it catches on nostalgia or fan-favorite well, characters or what have you. They replaced Johnny Depp, so I guess it's better now, <laughs> even though Depp was great. He was really good. He was, really good. Grindelwald. Grindelwald. <laughs> he was like, really good. Yeah. I mean, but, he... Say what you will about him, both on and off screen, but he rarely phones it in. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Mickelson's a great replay. They can't complain. Yeah. And he, and those two can get, he can, it's like the character's still there completely. They I, didn't... Do, I do think it's funny that in the same way that obviously they're not quite comparable situations, but you had in all the money in the world, you have a, had a heavily made up and very caricatured Kevin Spacey, who was then replaced by Chris Plummer, who's just, Chris, Chris Plummer, Plummer. Yeah. looking and talking like Chris Plummer. Yeah. And now you have a very made up and caricature Johnny Depp who gets replaced by Mads Mikkelsen and it's just Mads Mikkelsen. Well, mean, and, there's, there's nothing and, weird with his eyes. Well, in Harry Potter lore, you know, you have Richard Harris for two movies and he yes. goes away and you get a new <laughs> Dumbledore. A, a, the, you have that way with Grindelwald. Grindelwald and books here. I also yes. like how Mads Mikkelsen complained about being in the Marvel universe and not having really a lot to do, and now he's in another universe playing also a similar villain against a wizard, and presumably has only so much to do and control of that character. But um, good for him. I'm glad he's making that money. Oh, he's probably happy that he gets nothing to do for three movies instead of just one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yep. Him never, and, uh, yeah. It's never just one, Scott. They can always come back. <laughs> Him and good old Giancarlo Esposito are now the, I need a villain. I, I, I guarantee <laughs> you he is signed for three movies. And if he, and unless, if he doesn't want to do them, I'm sure Ross Marquand can jump in and voice them, <laughs> and voice them in the CG form. But um, Anyway, after all of this. Tim Roth to play him. There you go. Why is Tim Roth not more a superhero? Like, he, he has the Hulk as unrecognizable abomination. He could be killing it in these character roles and he has nothing to do. He's just stuck in CG. Um, anyway, see, Fantastic Beasts, <laughs> The Secrets of Dumbledore. I hope these titles get longer. Um, uh, opens April April 8th. Uh, sorry, no, April 15th, 2022. April 8th in UK, because they're first. It's Harry Potter. Uh, so there. We've done it. We've talked all about this. All right, let's... Remember when they, they named him, like, Harry Potter and the Ron Weasley has a bad day? Those were good times. <laughs> the very good, no Coming good, very magical, golden books. magical day. <laughs> Okay, let's move on from this. Let's get on to another Warner Brothers production. Let's talk about The Matrix Resurrections. I remember this. So deja vu. And yet it's obviously all wrong. Maybe this isn't the story we think it is. They taught you good. Made you believe their world. Was all you deserved. 
But some part of you knew that was a lie. Some part of you remembered what was real. It's so easy to forget how much noise the Matrix pumps into your head. Something else makes the same kind of noise. War. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for The Matrix Resurrections. It may have ended on shaky grounds for many, but The Matrix trilogy did come to an end back in 2003. Rumors in the years since suggested Warner Brothers was not quite through with what the Wachowskis created. Pushing back against the inevitable decision to reboot it anyway, Lon Wachowski found inspiration for how to make a fourth Matrix film and brought along Cloud Atlas scribe David Mitchell, along with many members of the Sense8 team to deliver The Matrix Resurrections. This story revolves around reintroducing Neo to the truth behind the Matrix, with the added twist that in order to fully be all he can be, he needs his true love, Trinity, to also rediscover the real world. Scott, I've heard this film described as visually dazzling, well-acted, and subtextually rich. Would you agree with this? What kind of brilliant, handsome son of a bitch said that? I saw some Forbes quote on some poster for this thing. <laughs> My God. I bet that's a guy that's... Very dreamy and has lots of hair. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed this. Um, it obviously wasn't quite what I was expecting. And by that, I mean, I mean, obviously, we all knew going in that there was going to be a certain self-satire meta critique of the whole legacy sequel reboot thing. I mean, you know, Wachowski doesn't come back to this for the paycheck. She doesn't come back to this because she's got nowhere else to go. She the only, you know, she only comes back. Keanu Reeves only comes back. Carrie Ann Moss comes back because they want to, because they like what's on the table. At least I'm being optimistic. I would assume that's the case. Uh, the only caveat to that is that, you know, development history of this film and frankly dialogue in the picture pretty much implies that Warner Brothers was going to do something with the Matrix anyways, with or without them. And, you know, it's possible that she was quote-unquote, cornered into making a fourth one Strong. of her own accord so that somebody else didn't take, a, take it over for her. Um, I think I like what it was about more than how it was about it. I do like the, you know, the very of-the-moment conversations about legacy sequels and nostalgia and what people take away from these franchises. Um, I, I do like what it, and this, I didn't say this, but I don't know who did, you know, except that, you know, if The Last Jedi was basically Ryan, Ryan Johnson saying Star Wars is for everyone, then I think to a certain extent, The Matrix Resurrections was Lena Wachowski saying, you know, The Matrix is mine. <laughs> it's still mine. And I don't care what weird crap you people have done with it over the last 20 years. It's still mine. And I'm going to have the last word, damn it. And I think that's very powerful, even if I think the movie itself doesn't quite work as much as I wanted to. It's just a, as a... You know, a big screen IMAX popcorn entertainment. But it's certainly worth seeing because it's interesting. Well, I certainly want to dive into that more, but I want to go to Brandon first. I want to know your thoughts on this film. But before I get before you talk, I just want to say after Brandon and myself get our general thoughts out there, we are going to delve into this movie and what it's about and the spoilers and what have you, just because that's going to make for more interesting conversations. So if you haven't seen The Matrix, uh, you, you're joining most of America because it's bonding right now. But also you can see it on HBO Max or in theaters and then come back to this podcast. Uh, but Brandon, what are your thoughts on The Matrix Resurrections? I've only seen it one time. I'm definitely going to catch it again while it's on HBO Max. I went to the theater opening opening night. Uh, I enjoyed the heck out of it then. Um, like Scott said, I was loving a lot of what it was about. Um, and as I have distanced 
like each day since I've seen it, I've grown fonder of the movie and my mind unlocks more. And I think it has that kind of gift. Like I know I see the comparisons a lot to the last Jedi and that's one thing that movie did as you return to it. There was new treats for you to have there. There was more to think about and stuff you weren't realizing. Someone else is going to point something out to you that you're going to be like, holy crap. Uh, that's great. It's a lot to chew on. Um, I know The Last Jedi is the, the uh, easy one to point at and say it's this. I think that's the accessibility. But this is a lot like David Lynch going back to Twin Peaks and being like, have your have fun with your expectations because um, a lot of Twin Peaks people didn't know a lot about David Lynch or took some of the other things and he went in with that that third season on Showtime and just did his thing and even poked fun at the people and did all like I mean he took Cooper and made him the caricature of what he saw people liking about him as a just drone dummy quoting things just drinking coffee profusely and eating pies and. You have that here with this Matrix movie, whether it be in your face uh, with a lot of some of the on the nose things or subtle. And I think a lot of the in your face ones uh, referencing to the meta nature of this movie are to open a door to come in rather than just being like, do you get it? Do you get it? I think it's opening a door to some people who might not pick up on that and bring it in. But um, there's so much here. The one thing that this movie wants to deny that um, is actually something the original Matrix movies are is that they did pioneer action spectacles. They did. Like, regardless of what it really is about, it changed um, the game. It, it kneecapped Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, as that came out as a visual spectacle visual splendor it did both it did all these things um and this movie's kind of mad about that uh and its action sequences aren't going to change the game in any way or even live up to some of the the heights of the original trilogy but it does produce a couple really awesome sequences in there um but i think the people that department isn't where the movie's heads at and that's okay but I think that's where a lot of people going in may be looking for. And that's what this movie kind of might be about uh, in places. We'll get to that. Um, but I, I really enjoyed what they were serving. I was on board with everything they did, even if it's loose here and there in spots. I appreciate that. This is a full on. I can't believe there's like no compromise in this movie. I can't believe it that Warner brothers puts this out like this. Um, and I'm happy for it. Uh, we're better for it. But um, like the Matrix before and like this says, uh, will the lessons be learned? Well, stuff. Well, no one's going to see it. So, no. Um, no. But I, I I I love this movie that this movie exists. Very happy with it. And I leave like I said before, uh, this isn't going to be for everybody. And I knew that immediately. Um, I'm not surprised by people saying things and who the people are saying things and this movie isn't either so i really like it i i think you should see it in a theater but if you're not comfortable and hbo max is fine with you that's fine but you probably went and saw spider-man so you're comfortable going to the theater anyways <laughs> that's me. 
I um I really like this movie as well. I'm a big fan of it. I think it, it's <laughs> it's just the it's Wachowski being really good at the thing they do. She does um, as far as delivering something that's off the wall and weird and not necessarily what somebody's expecting and making that work on its own accord. I mean, everything you guys have said as far as why it the reasons why it works, I agree with. And I mean, from the get go, I <laughs> I stated many times, I this movie's going to divide people. Before seeing this movie, it's like there's no reason to expect this movie to please everybody, lest we not forget it's not like the Matrix sequels pleased everybody. So it's the right, idea. yeah, the <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's not like the Wachowskis since the Matrix sequels were like, huh, we really messed up there. Let's let's make really easy palatable films <laughs> since then. <laughs> so, I mean, and they've only grown and evolved as filmmakers since then. So going into this, I'm thinking, whatever this is, this is gonna be the film from the directors of. The director of Cloud Atlas and Sense Eight, not the director of The Matrix. I mean, so the the idea of thinking I was going to get some kind of, you know, blow away spectacle. Like, sure, would that be great if we had like a mix of ideas and some kind of knock you out of your socks action movie? Yes, but I didn't go into the theater thinking that was what I was going to get. I thought I was going to get something that was probably going to be thematically and subtextually rich, like Scott Mendelson has once said. Uh, and that's <laughs> what I got, and I really appreciated all those ideas. There's so much so that I'm, I know I'm not going to get to all of them as we talk about this movie, because there's a lot that you can easily unpack from this. Whether or not you agree with it or whether or not it occurs to you, it's a film much like The Matrix and its sequels that can be interpreted many ways, and I think Wachowski's very aware of that. Scott, I get your point as far as saying it's very much her design and what she wants to do with it, and it's her ideal. At the same time, I do think that she's inviting people to come in and watch this and take what they want from it in the in ways that kind of reflect where she's after the kind of oh yeah the whole free your mind scenario, which is you know a big one of the big taglines of this thing to begin with. <laughs> I, I think that I think there's something very. I mean, I'll get down to it. I think this is a very positive and hopeful film. In the same way, The Matrix is ultimately a hopeful trilogy. Yes, it has a dark second act because that's how these trilogies work. But I do think at the end of the day, even with the sharp teeth that this film has out for the studios involved in making it, it is a film that wants to suggest that instead of saving the world, what if we just focused on love? And that's such an interesting message to put out there. At a time like this, in its own release date, which is pushed, so it doesn't really make a difference, but the fact that it's coming out on, like, you know, during the holiday season, you have an uplifting Matrix movie, which is about, you know, the dystopian world and how people are surviving in it anyway. Yes, that's somewhat coincidence, but also it's like, that's really, beyond, like, all of the other things going on here, as far as identity politics and legacy sequel thoughts and various forms of satire... Uh, different existential thoughts that go on in the minds of Neo. Like, there's all kinds of things. At the end of the day, it's also this, like, really grand statement of love that she wants to put out there. I found that to be really fascinating. And yes, it's the, if, the give, if the push and pull of that is should we get more sci-fi mumbo-jumbo and other things that are, you know, substantial in terms of how to think about what you're seeing, you get less of the big action that, yes, is a huge staple of the original trilogy, I could accept that because, again, walking into this thing, I just kind of accepted that I wasn't going to get, like, whatever, you know, what a new Matrix. I was going to get a new Wachowski film. And I, <laughs> that's that's what I got. And in response to that, it's like, regardless of what it's about, I got to get a, a terrific Keanu Reeves performance. I got some fun new characters. I got this really visually wild movie. I have 
a character that arrives on a robot manatee at some point or a man manta ray at some point i'm like i guess this is a major character now like there's just so much weird and ambition here so i i can understand the points that i've read that like you know the reviews that i've read that are less positive and negative there's ones where i can understand like yeah it's not it doesn't work for them ones that are just going out of the woodwork to be like this is just awful and there's nothing offered it's like i don't know what movie you guys are watching but like it's trying to do something and this is coming a week after spider-man a movie i had plenty of fun with it is super enjoyable but it's like <laughs> if you want to just be comforted by franchises okay like it's there but if you want to like support movies that have more to say like we could give both a chance here guys <laughs> like there's plenty to offer so I don't know. I mean, there's there's yeah, a lot. I mean, it's, it's there's a lot to unpack. Even, but I really like this movie. Yeah, even as somebody that wasn't as big on it as I wanted to be, this film is, is nonstop nutrition. Yeah. And nonstop subtext. Mm -hmm. And there's there's I don't want to say there's nothing but under the surface meaning because that's not fair. There's plenty of surface level pleasures. But and it, I'll be honest, it did take me a minute to realize that okay, they made a romantic comedy, <laughs> which neat. It is funny. It is a droll, mm -hmm. humorous picture. Um, it certainly is on a, you know, I, I guess, you know, in big picture, what I took from it was, you know, not unlike something like Ready Player One, where you had Steven Spielberg looking at sort of the pop culture legacy that he created and what the people that grew up on his films, the world that they created and, you know, weeping in despair. I think to a certain extent, there's, what I found most, what resonated to me most in this picture was the, the idea of Lena Wachowski looking at, you know, the fan base that grew up on the Matrix and the world that they have created and being just as angry or as sad about it, realizing that, you know, we're not going to save the world. It's too late. We already failed. So you might as well just spend the time you got with the people you love and make the most of it. Yeah. And I, yeah, you know, sort of going down with the ship. Would you? Well, the series has been about coping with horrible truths. Yeah. It's about, okay, that's what it is. What do we do? Rather than trying to fix them, change it. And this is, continues that trend of getting a crappy truth, dealing with it. It's real, no matter what. You know, it's not going to get changed. Uh, Ray, I didn't see the wrong thing. I didn't lie to you. But no. Um, it's about coping with those. It's about crappy, like, things. Like, Leo, you take the pill, you go, oh, the, holy crap, this sucks. And the next one, it's like, hey, Neo, we've been through this already. You fail this cycle thing. Well, how do I cope with the cycle? Like, how do I do? And this one, again, what do you do when people don't want to leave the Matrix? <laughs> like, it's. Then you make, you do what you can to make the yeah. Matrix a little bit better. Which is what this movie ultimately boils yeah. down to, and I should say now as we get into this discussion, a reminder that we can go full spoilers on this. We don't have to like, be more vague about things or what have you. Um, I do have a question, Scott. Do you, would you call this like an anti-sequel in any way? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's, it's on one hand, there's no law saying that every sequel has to follow certain tropes and patterns. Sure. So at the end of the day, it's a sequel. And I, I, I and the only reason I, I'm... The only reason I rebel against the notion is it's sort of like, you know, I'm sort of tired of filmmakers saying, oh, you know, Wonder Woman 1984 isn't really a sequel. The Suicide Squad isn't really a sequel. Like, guys, they're sequels. It's okay. 
<laughs> and to what? be fair, that's what Tim Burton said about Batman Returns back in 1992, and it was still silly then. But that being said, I do think there's obviously a certain, you know, I, I, it's, it's, you know, I was not, maybe I was expecting in a certain way for this to remind me of Gremlins 2, of all things, mm -hmm. or Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Yeah, that's And that good. is, it is a sequel to a, a trilogy that almost explicitly breaks the fourth wall and says, you know, we are aware that the trilogy exists, you know, in movie form. They, you know, they inspired XYZ. This is their legacy. And now let's unpack that legacy. Well, I mean, it goes beyond almost. It does, right? Neo is yeah. now a video game programmer who has created mm -hmm. The Matrix based yeah. off his experiences in The Matrix. A <laughs> trilogy. A trilogy, uh, yeah. yeah. A trilogy of games that follow the exact, down to the point where everyone knows the characters that are being referenced in this film, like Morpheus, yeah. for example. Like, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, There's it's, action figures, McFarlane action figures. It's a, it um, is a one-to-one, -one, <laughs> and that video game came from a, it, it, it's it's part of a video game company that's owned by Warner Brothers. <laughs> I mean, here, to, before we get into that, is there something going on with studios where they're just letting these things happen between this and like Space Jam and like Dumbo? You pointed out, Scott, how Dumbo yeah. is very much against Disney. Like, is there? Are we just letting the Arturs run the show? The Arturs being apparently Tim Burton, yeah. the Wachowskis, and Malcolm, <laughs> Malcolm D. Lee for Space Jam. Uh, like, they, is that I just the thing? A certain, you know, I I have issues with the graphic novel, but uh, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Rises. The sequel, returns. Not The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, Strikes Again. The one, yeah, Strikes Again. Thank you. Sorry. There's a great line in there where, like, Lex Luthor says something to the effect of, freedom of speech is a wonderful thing, especially when nobody's listening. <laughs> and I think that's sort of, you know, sort of been part of my grumpiness is I know these films are being made and that these great messages are being put out and these strong, poignant political points are being made, but you know and I know and I mean, the studio executives know that either nobody's listening or nobody cares. So there really there's no real risk to letting a Disney movie like Dumbo be 120 minutes of criticizing them buying Fox. Interesting. Because so what? Or, you know, all these handful of Disney period pieces that are basically about, you know, labor rights and oligarchs and, you know, what have you. The big scary bank's going to steal our house, but... You know, our up and chipper working class people aren't going to let it happen. Well, I mean, either people don't recognize it, or they, like you said, they don't care. Yeah, like, exactly. So that, or that's not my world. So that's <laughs> so, so leading back to the Matrix itself, the Matrix Resurrections, the idea that Lana Wachowski is making a movie that is directly commenting on her being forced to make to you know for for yeah. her best interests, it's she's being compelled to want to actually do something in this. <laughs> I think that's pretty fascinating that the first act of this movie is focused on basically being an open rebellion against the fact that she has to make the movie to begin with. That oh, said, yeah. it's fun. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's a really fun and engaging first act that leads into stuff that you more or less do want to see, even if you're not seeing it the way you want to, but you do want to see you get into fights and slow motion and the Merovingian returning those three things what? specifically. Like, I, mean... <laughs> well, I love that. They, they take the, the slow, the bullet time and they play it against like, it's like yeah. not what you like playing against expectations. Like, um, definitely, and I think with the, the the studio, there's dumb studio execs who be like, "Oh, figures us. That's really funny. That's really funny. Put that in there. Yeah, 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 yeah." Don't not getting the deeper context. They have an ego, and they're like, "That's funny." Cause well, that's, that's what we're, look at the casting of that you know? first act, right? I mean, it's I, not the the casting in those for those office spaces where they're having those discussions. It. <laughs> 
good on the i think it's good on the actors who yes they're playing a certain type and i'm sure there are younger executives that do mm-hmm. think very specific ways that line up with what's going on in those rooms i mean it's 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 a trip to think about like the idea of a studio watching this and seeing a reflection of themselves and going along with it <laughs> right yeah um but that's part of the joy of this movie and that's what i'm saying like i can't believe this is a it feels wholly uncompromised like it's yeah it does it because it's better or worse because i think it's it's very much at least partially about the Wachowskis or, or lena Wachowskis, you know displeasure at the notion that the matrix is best known as an action picture. Yeah. And I'm not going to say she intentionally take the action scenes, but that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, so wasn't here's, it where to, she, to, her head was. Yeah. To talk about the action scenes for a second, Lano chat. So obviously the original matrix of the sequels, they were choreographed by Yung Wing Ping, right? And they were, you know, they're shot in a certain way where you, I mean, they blew the doors off for like Hollywood action films of their day, right? There's a lot of wide shots with slow motion bits and martial arts being incorporated with gunplay and slow motion, all that. It sticks out. This film, I'm aware Lana Wachowski was, uh, she was on second unit. She was doing the work as opposed to not uh, before. And I mean, <laughs> there's certainly an intention with the action. Like I guess it, you know, it's, it's, there's, I've watched, so I've watched it twice so far and the second time around, it's really only that Merovingian fight that doesn't really feel right. The rest of it, I think, is about as clean as it needs to be. Like, I'm not saying it's, you know, there's no highway fight or lobby shootout as far as the action goes. or even. I just found the action very narratively inconsequential, which, again, may have that, been... That's, diff- that's different than the filmmaking, though, Scott, Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, no, I, mean, I, I, I don't think the, the action is filmed badly. I just find that it's narratively without real thematic and character purpose and i wasn't visually wowed so i'll take one of the two sure i i think you can make that argument for a lot of the action in all the matrix movies honestly and i think it i think it's wachowski knowing yeah i I mean she may be more interested in the ideas being presented and exploring the worlds that she and, and that they have created but, I mean, I don't think they're beyond the entertainment value they get from seeing cool stuff. I mean, these are movies that are live-action anime. Anime yeah. that has action scenes in it that these movies are very much ripping from. So, I mean, it's, you know, for this movie specifically, I still think, like, the the, the energy there to want to deliver on that is present. But, I mean, how do you how do you, how do do you you make lightning strike again, I think is my thought. There's, like... Yeah, you I'm could... going to do something creative, and I do think there's creative mm-hmm. stuff in here. I think, like, there's yeah. a whole, that whole motorcycle chase sequence at the end, that, I think yeah. it's pretty terrific. And, and there's, a, there's a bit involving, uh, like, people jumping out of windows and having, like, people bombs, which is like, I haven't seen that kind of thing before. Like, it's great. Or, like, That's so just, happening. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, even, like, the the use of bodies like i mean one of the big complaints about the matrix reloaded right is the big smith fight where there's all those smiths here's a film that also has sequences where there's a lot of bodies in one place and you can do that for real and the effects are better and you can really blow it all out which i think they do i mean if there's if there's one thing they quote unquote correct it's how to make a lot of bodies versus one person where granted they're not clones but i do think like there's effort there to do certain things that feel unique for the film itself yeah, you could headcanon it that it's a different Matrix. The action's not going to look the same. I mean, it truly yeah. has a different look to it, and that's part of the game is to make you wonder if this is the same Matrix. Is this the same era? How long have we been? 
um, and they don't go with that tinge that they had with the, the green of the sequels. They go with a more blue, which, uh-huh, uh-huh, um, for this one. But And we know it's uh, evolved, right? Neil Patrick Harris, mm-hmm. Dr. Exposition, explains a lot of things about the <laughs> Matrix as far right. as it's a new th- – he's the new – Excuse me. He's the new architect. He's they've remodeled things. There's been different, you know, uh, ver- like he explains the great thing of like, hey, you know what? You had a great ending, but guess what? We have to disturb your peace to bring you back for moviegoers. Like yeah. that's a, that's a thing we've we three of us have talked about when you resurrect these sequels and people are like, what do they do? I'm like, you have to fuck these people's lives. I'm sorry, you mess these people's lives up to bring them back. Like, yeah. like why do we want our pop culture heroes to be miserable? They went off in that sunset. You were happy, but you're like, ah, you don't want to watch them like, you know, yeah. putting wallpaper up in their house. Do you want to see them in turmoil? Like, and I, one thing I do like about this film is it does spend time stating and explaining that yes, Neo and Trinity's sacrifice did bring about peace. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, that's the events really of this cool film thing. are not undoing that peace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not like you know, cheap shot, but the Force Awakens where up. Oh, the Empire's back and everything's as bad as it used to be. Ha ha ha. Um, you know, it digs further into what these machines are about. Like, granted, yeah. you can only do so much with them as characters because they're machines. And they've evolved as they, and how they've evolved. And, and, it's, yeah. and it's neat to see that works as something. That, I mean, it's you know, it's sci-fi, but it's still plausible as far as like yeah. they are AI and there's ways for that to develop and beyond just we're back at war again, like you're just saying. Right. I mean, so. Well, I'll tell you what, like, Aaron, you talked about, like, the expectation of seeing a Wachowski film instead of, like, expectation of seeing a Matrix. But your expectation here of, like, going into the first Matrix where you didn't know anything and you were surprised constantly is, like, that feeling again in this movie. Even though they're going through similar things, it's very, like, I was still in shock of, like, when they were going to, like, when he red-pilled. I'm like, what's this going to be? What's it like? Cause I don't know what this world is. And I was in that suspense again. And then when he got there, I'm like, oh, this is okay. And then it twisted and was a surprise and fresh and new and different to me. Like, I, they pulled it off. Like, that was really wild that they managed to do that. It does that, with, exactly. it does that without being this kind of member berries version either. Like, it's repeating yeah, yeah, certain beats, exactly. but, that's, but it's very much by design, right? There's a very mm-hmm. specific reason why you see or revisit certain events from the first Matrix. The first Matrix film, by the way, being a very talky, acquisition-heavy movie that has only a few action scenes in it. Uh, but, the, but regardless, um, it, it is revisiting all of the... And all the films count, also nice. Um, <laughs> there's no... And the Animatrix? Yeah, and the Animatrix. Like, the more, yeah. the more you... The more you've dug into this world, the more thematically rich you might find it, because it's certainly not discounting the things that have been made canon according to the Wachowskis. But regardless, I rewatched what I was, what I was saying, the Animatrix I... for the first time in like uh-huh. 15 years beforehand, and I'm glad I did. Yeah, it, it, I mean, knowing the origins of the whole machine yeah. stuff is very useful in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh-huh. the but no, the 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 use of like you know flashbacks, it's hard to say calling them flashbacks. It's really like half second clips from the yeah. from the other major like so it's it's not like it's get you know it's not um scott i believe you you mentioned silent night deadly night <laughs> when you're <Yeah>. a few <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry I, mean, it's, I thought you know i was expecting lawrence fisher to scream garbage day but uh <laughs> but i i do like how it's not you know it's not and it's, it's fine it's not criticism it just it no i get it yeah and even you mentioning the idea like 
like being something like Force Awakens where it's deliberately doing a certain kind of thing. Sure, you're being eased into this world again, but it's not yeah. relying on that to inform how this film is going to work as far as what to expect. Like it's using them you as know, it's using you know, it as a natural way to continue the story because that's the story that happened. And what I, I think is interesting about this picture is it does play a little bit in the Force Awakens sandbox in terms of, you know, oh, this is very similar to what we saw twenty years ago, but with a lot of the narrative tension being how is this different? Why is this different? And how is it going to, you know, what, how is what we're going to see next different than what we're used to and why? Yeah, why do so we need this? So that as a tool for suspense. Yeah, why, um, why do we need this movie? Why yeah. is Wachowski making this movie? And yes, you can. there's a cynical part of it as far as like, well, she had to. But there's also the, well, she did have an idea. It's not like, it's not like you know, we're watching this movie and thinking, oh, it's creatively bankrupt. And clearly they're just going back to old things to make them seem fresh again. Like, there's a lot on this movie's mind, I think, that delves oh. into where she has become, you know, she was literally an entirely different person back in 1999. So like, it's, yeah, yeah. that's what I found the most interesting about the idea of revisiting this world. It's like, what do you do with that now? Like, clearly she's evolved as a person. Like, what is that going to look like in this? And I think between, but with all the things that we learned about this version of the matrix, it's very present uh, throughout this movie. Oh, it's, 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 you know, cause I, I was with you at the screening and, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure how I felt with it afterwards, and I'm glad I had about 24 hours before I wrote my review, mm. uh, because it grew on me. And it's 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 you have a, a a trilogy that was sort of doing something that was entirely different than what had come before, relatively speaking. I mean, yes, there are anime references and you know John Woo references, yada yada yada. But then it's like Tarantino. Like it's not just it's not just ripping it. It's like it's taking yeah. it and remixing it and doing it its own yes, way. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But then you have this, which by default is like, okay, are they going to play the hits? Are they going to comment on the legacy? Are they going to – and what I liked about this picture, especially in this weird nostalgia-driven franchise era, is they relished everything that happened in these any of the movies. Even the sequels that now everybody claims weren't that good. You know, they didn't shy away from any of the Matrix content. They used it all. Yeah. Um which I wish more franchises would do. You know, it's funny. We, we talk about how, oh, you know, Halloween by ignoring all the sequels or Superman Returns ignoring the sequels. Like, what are the two most popular franchises right now? Yeah. Marvel and Fast and Furious. <laughs> you know, they, they use everything. <laughs> In fact, they, I think when they, they write a script for a new Marvel movie, they say, okay, let's find one that people didn't like 10 years ago and find a way to make it more thematically worthwhile. It is something that I like about this new Spider-Man, by the way, as far as it's yeah. a film that very much acknowledges not only like the good ones, but but the ones that you and I like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's a push here, too, because they possibly knew going back to a Matrix sequel that was a legacy sequel that it would um, be selective, like uh, like a J.J. Abrams with Force Awakens and not mentioning a thing about the prequels or something like that. And this made a point, be like, no, I made three movies. Yeah. I love all three of my movies. That was my story. And she's all about like, no, because there's a lot of people like, well, I like The Matrix, but those other two. Or, you know, that's very much a stigma. It's great now that people love The Matrix sequels. I've seen so much praise. But that has been over time. Like when these when they first came out, I just remember people being pretty combative about Reloaded and then nobody and then. It was a quick kill for 
that franchise. Um, and I think the people who enjoyed it weren't old enough to be vocal on the internet or astute the, enough the to write about the it. The adults in the room. Um, but that's why I think a uh, thought process when writing this might be is those people are going to come out of the woodwork like, oh, they're going to make the real sequel to The Matrix. And yeah, they I'll be did. honest. I was guess what? Guess what? Thrilled. She did. She yeah. did. But not like you're thinking. <laughs> but not like you're thinking. So, which is weird oh, to say I, it's not like you're thinking when it's like, what? What is the ultimate version of the the sequel to The Matrix at this point? Then, like, I mean, the, someone it, so someone described, and this is perfect. No I hope there's a, a poster lot, that goes with this. Well, yeah. <laughs> To a lot of people, the Matrix is the lobby scene from the first one. That's yeah. all it is to people. And it's Neo, Trinity, do, 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 we're in this cool world where we do these weird things. And it's so much more. And I love that there's a there. – if you notice, and I didn't come up with this. I, I was pointing out Trinity and Neo never yield a weapon in this movie. Yeah. Other people do. It, Neo's actions throughout the movie are all defensive, also, and they're yeah. they're a blocking mechanism. He's basically yeah. using force yeah. pushes and stuff. Yes. So, like, uh, he, yeah. like he he specifically sells to Morpheus, I don't want to fight. It's like he lets yeah. himself get beaten up until Trinity gets mentioned, basically, mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, fine, let me <laughs> get you away from me. <laughs> Let's talk about these performances more because there's a lot of you know. Keanu Reeves is fantastic in this. Yeah, I I would argue this is one of his best performances as an yes. actor, and I think that yeah. means, I yeah. think like. And and it, I think we're past the point where we like laugh when we say something like that because he's given a lot of very good performances as he's found himself as an actor. Whatever range he has, there is a pocket he fits into where he can really deliver. And I do think having the information he has is playing this character, let alone just who he seems to be as a person these days. He's really. I think he read this script and really embraced the idea of being a guy that's confused and paranoid and has this love-struck feeling about it. Like, he has all these different things, and I think he's really playing them well. Like, it's one of the more rangy performances I think he's given in a film. Yeah, oh. yeah. He's... And it, it's very much out... You know, and you sort of mentioned this to you. It's, it's not a conventional Keanu Reeves performance. It's not something we're used to seeing with him. From among other things, he actually looks his age. Which is a which which is makes me ex obviously I'm a huge Keanu Reeves fan I always have been as I'm sure you guys are too but we, we've done many that, commentaries for, for oh his yeah, movies exactly. but, it but, seems yeah that's, I'm just saying that you know as much as I enjoy his work now I am genuinely excited to see what kind of work he starts what he's done what he does when he sort of graduates into be a crusty character actor you know it's it's funny like you say that and it's I I'm not denying he hasn't still done like leading man roles and but like yeah. after the Matrix. He, I mean, he kind of dug in a little bit as far as being more con like you know he has movies like what is it the um is it Thumbsucker like just like movies where oh, he's yeah, like supporting yeah. where he's like yeah. he he has these like supporting roles that he's taken where and he's or like even the gift which is before the sequels like where he yeah. he plays well, he, he plays effective he'll even people do, like the lake house he'll do stuff like that like yeah I'm saying he hasn't not taken lead roles but I well, I, do I, think I just he, mean in terms of of of, of I know yeah there's an being even advanced, an older guy yeah I get that yeah I think yeah, a big a pivotal moment in his career is not taking speed two that has paid like, cause now, yeah. you know, if he does a sequel, he, he must really it. believe in it. Like, yeah. or when he does a film, he believes in it. Like speed two is the easiest. Keep your career up high, big paycheck thing. Uh, he could have done. And he, it was a huge pass. It was like, what an idiot. Well, 
he also doesn't seem to be pretentious about this. Like that's yeah. entirely his always mm-hmm. be my maybe yep. role where he's spoofing himself. Like he seems to get it. Yeah. Like, well, his turning it down was genuine. That yeah. we, as we have seen over the years, it wasn't some like punk move. Like it was a genuine and had they given him some more time, he may have done it. Yeah. So in this um, movie, <laughs> um, it, you want to talk about actor Carrie Ann Moss, one of the most underutilized performers of the last couple decades. Um, even though she, I mean, she had some stuff. Uh, she hasn't not been Matrix, acting, but yes, but she hasn't know. not been acting. But she's been great. Like there was a little like weird zombie movie called Fido. She was really good in. Um, but like she's not had the prominent career off the Matrix like a male breakout star might have had. Um, but. Yeah. Marvel, uh, the Netflix series, brought her back into a bit more of a fold when she was in uh, Jessica Jones. But, I, yeah, it's nice to see her here and just killing it. Like, absolutely. Trinity's at her most complex here than she's ever been, and she handles it with this, like, cool ease that is unbelievable. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of connection for her and Neat. Like, the way she and, and Reeves work together, I think, is at its purest as well. Like, it... You know, obviously they they're connected or bonded in the other movies, but this one is really playing off the fact that they were always meant to be together, and I do think it it pays off in this movie. Yeah, and the intensity of the the scene where he has to convince her is more than any fight scene in the film or any you know big action. Like it's granted, it's followed by probably the best one in the the movie, but like the scene of just them at a table with them all around, kind of mimicking revolutions ending in that bar and just having a talk out scene. Well, the, the weight feels real. Like, Scott, you're pointing out how the action yeah. doesn't carry much weight, and I don't disagree with you as far as its ultimate purpose. But what I found to be interesting about this also, and I talked to you about this, is the idea that yeah. we've already had a trilogy that dealt with world-ending stakes. We had robots yeah. that yes, were literally trying yeah. to destroy all of humanity. So it's like, if you're going to make a sequel to that... What threat can you introduce that can top that? My answer is there is none. So, like, yeah. what do you do instead? You pivot. And so it becomes this big romantic gesture movie <laughs> about this guy who's trying to break out of his reality and he wants to take the woman that he loves with him. And hopefully she can see the same thing. And so, Brandon, what you're saying is exactly right. Because, yeah, the biggest, most weightiest moment in this film is is can I convince my true love to come with me on this journey so I can, so we can live this thing out mm-hmm. together and succeed. It, it's not about the Smiths or the, the Neil Patrick Harris's or anything. The Groffs. The Groffs. The Groffs. It's not about, any, it's not about oh. whatever Morpheus and Bugs are up to. It's about, are these two crazy kids going to be able to stay in love and make it? It's like, it's the Grease ending. Like, that's what we're hoping on yeah, here. It's, it's, it literally it's, is. They have to fly away at the end. It's the Grease ending. <laughs> No, and it is a statement too because the the youth of the what is it Ayer is that the new one? Io. I, Io. Yeah. Uh, they just rescue Neo and think that's it. They uh, like and yeah. and Lana Wachowski's like no, Trinity is just as much that Morpheus, eh, but Trinity with just as much those Matrix movies as as that and and it, it is crazy that the way they put it together it just all makes perfect sense. I don't know if it's retroactive or just pushing out something we didn't notice as much before but it feels like seamless it feels it doesn't feel like some retcon at all it speaks to it speaks to the identity aspect of it it's something that i'm fully not prepared to get into deeper but like as far as you know io like ones and zeros male and female having all this thing combined like the idea of 
not just needing the one, but embracing the idea that the or what the Oracle said that there really isn't a one, and now it's Neo and his you know, his his the the woman, the other one, and like there's the idea of of bringing those two together as like that's always been what's needed. I do I think there. I don't have all the words to say for like what that means for this franchise, but I do think it it's really fascinating to me that that's like how it's it's turned itself around to become this ultimate like constant mm-hmm. that is needed. So yeah, I uh, did. I had no idea Jada was in this movie, so that was a nice surprise. Like I've been keeping away from stuff, so I was like, oh, cool. I I knew she was cast, but like yeah, well I was still like you know hey, <laughs> there's Naomi, she's back in the movie. And, I, and as much as the Wachowskis uh, love having fun with their old age makeup, I do think she does a good job in the performance. That she's giving. <laughs> no, no I, I like that character coming back. And she's one of the ones that, you know, as they right, come out and said, you know, she liked Neo for Neo. She didn't really care yeah. if he was the one or any of that nonsense. She, she just thought he was a good and decent person who, you know, was a valuable comrade during a dark time. I was uh, ready to welcome Henry Lennox back in here just to be mean again if he wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't sh- he's busy in Zack Snyder world, I assume, anyway. Yeah. So he doesn't have time for this. But no, I, I agree with you, Scott. I do think the, you know, as little as time as they had spent together in the in those previous films, I do think it's a benefit to not just have it for the sake of, hey, fan service, there's a character you remember, but also someone that like has a perspective on things and can do yeah. something. How about, oh. uh, how about Yahya Abdul-Mateen as the new Morpheus? What did you guys think of the way they handled this character. I think it's a very, I mean, I think he's very good. And I think he's very quickly defining himself as a very chameleon like actor mm-hmm. where, you know, no two performances are the same. And, you know, in a Gary Oldman kind of way, I have no idea who the real, who he really is or what, you know, he has, he has yet to really have his own star persona because every part he takes is wildly different. That being said, and this is nothing against him, the character is by design a gimmick. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting gimmick, and I think the fact that he's able to make that gimmick into a something resembling a flesh and blood character is a credit to him. But I'm not sure to what extent that character stood out, other than, you know, not Morpheus. It's it's a fun. It's our first first act character. It kind of runs yeah. out of steam for a bit, but it it not supposed to stick around it's it's meant to hold our hand a little bit through there in the beginning of familiarity but uh i do like his outfits going kind of in a twist on morpheus's more dour looking things mm-hmm. um but he's fun he exhibits uh morpheus traits and i i definitely uh i dig the the twist on it all uh when you're revealed as to what he is um but yeah, it's I, I use it just mainly a, a first act gateway, I, I think, and, and that's all he really serves. But he's good, and having him in the role probably adds to it rather than just yeah, this is only a first act character. What can we do? So yeah, I don't disagree, and as I, I think I've made clear on this podcast and with you guys, I'm on the Yaya train. I think he's a very good actor, and I really oh, like yeah. seeing him pop up and things. Um, you part of the Yaya Brotherhood? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the divine secrets are within. Um, but I, I he, you know, he is the mystery at the at the outset because you're like, who is this? Because like, even like trailer wise, like it, the trailers knew what they were doing as far as like. Because when he shows up as a Smith, right? You're like, what? What? Yeah. yeah. And the trailer, but the trailers at <laughs> the outset, you're like. Cool. Lawrence Fishburne's not in this. We have a guy that's clearly modeled to be Morpheus. Like, what is this supposed to mean? And so I do like, mm-hmm. I do like what we explore as far as getting what that actually is, which is apparently what a, 
a program that Neo created that's also a agent that, um, I think so. that finds its own consciousness yeah. and therefore is able to resist the programming and do its own thing. Like there's well, there, there's programs that can like come into the real world if they want to, and his has discovered that ability. They have to discover it on their own. Yeah. And I think he, yeah, he mixed Smith stuff with Morpheus when he did when the program. When he designed him, yeah. But, so it's this unique thing. That was a really night when Neo got really drunk. It was late at night. <laughs> pretty much based on what Neo's character is, like that's pretty yeah. much what he does. But I, I actually, I really like that real world depiction of him, where it's like a bunch of like pieces of metal that are all magnetized together, so it resembles a body to some degree. That's. Mm-hmm. That's like weird shit that I really enjoy in the, in the yes. that they do in yeah. this movie. As I mentioned, robot manatee that comes in later, man ray that comes in later in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like, yes, all to the like that was you know the Matrix is gonna be what the Matrix is. I was really fascinated by what the real world was gonna be because it's like, okay, what are okay. we gonna get into this now? And I do think they have so many cool ideas and what. Now we're going away from the acting. We'll get back to that. But I mean, there's so many cool stuff with the like that was the, I talked about this on the reloaded commentary right I really enjoyed what Zion was when we first met there and now we have Io which was also really intriguing to me it has its own sky and atmosphere it has robots and humans working on farms together like cool like and there's lots of meanings you can read strawberries that. yeah so I don't know I, I dug I dug all that quite a bit um what else uh Bugs Jessica Henwick's character Brandon what do you think of Bugs She's great. Uh, I, lo- I like her. She was one of the best parts of Glowhand. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> she's someone I, I like seeing. Uh, Iron Fist. <laughs> capable of the action, not too over the top, not too overly nostalgia glowing, like some of these parts can be in these movies. Uh, but I, I dug it, and I, I liked her the way she did the interactions. When the, the uh, what's he called, the controller guy. Like, I thought she played those yeah, the, things The really operator well. that she had. Operator, right? yes. Yeah. I, I really like how she managed that. So, yeah. No, I'm, yeah, Team Henwick. Put her in more stuff. Scott, how about you? Uh, yeah, I, I thought she was fine. She was obviously an audience surrogate character. I, I was more, in, just offhand, I was more interested in her interaction with Jada Pickett-Smith than the rest of the cast, just because I did like the the fact that it was sort of, not giving what was expected in terms of the, you know, they were basically crazy kids that were off the reservation, disobeying orders and effing around with the system, and they weren't being hailed as glorious heroes for it. Mm-hmm. It was like, what? You woke up, Neil? Why? And they were being accurately punished. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. You know, the film didn't have them go, oh, well, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, I thought Jonathan Groff was very funny. Yeah, let's talk about Jonathan uh, Groff for a bit, too. He plays, so he plays, he's Smith, right? He is playing yeah, the Smith character. Smith. Like the first time I watched it, I was like, I was trying to understand what they're go- what they're going for with that. It's like, oh, cause he he's just Hugo Weaving. Like it's like if they, yeah. he's he's playing that character again. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he's not gonna be the same kind of Smith because he's not Hugo Weaving. But I also think he's able to play certain certain. You know, for one thing, he's a lot younger. He's not. He's certainly not, you know, physically imposing in any particular way. Well, see, the what I like is that the movie understands this too, and I think, yeah. not that this is a benefit in any mm-hmm. way, but by casting, by you know, by having to recast the Oracle, by having to recast Mary Alice um, in that role, it already gave itself this kind of like 
understanding that the matrix can do that because that's the mate like yeah. it, it's, it's a, a pro, it's, a, it's a computer it's a, program yeah, it's a yeah. cheat you know it's like saying a wizard did it in that movie from last week but i mean <laughs> it's also a matter of this makes a level of logical sense which the movie goes out of its way to explain it's like yeah we evolved the system we upgraded we can change your 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 ui we can change all kinds of things and you know make make them make an upgrade like jonathan grock where it's you know this less imposing guy more quote-unquote more attractive piercing blue eyes character like that's well, the reverse roles that's basically like he's slick he's stylish he's you know handsome yeah yeah and i i do like just because it's you know in the terms of things we haven't seen before you know in a scene right before the big action climax where he's almost the underdog mm-hmm. um and I don't want to say, you know, he comes in and plays the hero because it's, it's obviously a little more complicated than that. But it is kind of fun to watch him play the, for lack of a better term, the agent of chaos. Yeah, he's the fly in the ointment. Yeah, fly in the ointment. The one that sort of, you know, messes around with, you know, the big evil master plan. Mm-hmm. Well, um, their, their duality is like a thing, but it's like post-dated. Like, they're, yeah. it's like, okay, we, we had that. You're still in my way, but like, like I gotta do this, man, um, and yeah, I guess I gotta beat you up real quick for so I can do that, cause yeah. It's interesting yeah. because he's playing this kind of role, but the film is, or at least Wachowski's, decidedly against doing more of these, right? That's the word, right? That yeah. she's like, why well, would I'd, I'd be sure? Well, but yeah. especially now with the lack of money especially that it's now. making, yeah. <laughs> but but like it does. There is so much work here where it's like you could easily see this going to a place where Groth plays a bigger role in a sequel. And along with Christina Ricci, because she's for two minutes and they needed her for some reason. Um, well, that whole scene was like a who could we get today on the set? Because you had Freema Adjuman, who is uh, mm-hmm. in Sense8. She's on that Amsterdam show. She was in Doctor Who, all that stuff. There's a lot of Sense8 and probably, people there. Probably some yeah, other people there. So that was like, while big casting news, it's sometimes you just people just take apart. Sometimes yeah. just people want to be involved. Sometimes it's a favor. Yeah, I mean, so, that, yeah, yeah, I'm like joking, but I mean, that's I guarantee that's a somebody saw this on the call sheet and reported it. <laughs> and yeah, which, oh, Christina Ricci's in this movie. Christina Ricci Rachowski stuff needs to happen more often. They do fun stuff with her. Like, I know it's only been two, what, two movies, but it was a Speed yeah. Racer, yeah, Speed Racer and this. But I'm like, they know how to use her like Tim Burton does. So like, I hey. also I wouldn't be surprised if that first act used to be a lot longer and it probably had more of her and other people that are in that office. But awesome. it's like. We've got to cut this down because the movie's two and a half hours. Needs to be, we need to make this two hours and a half max. We can't have an hour right, of people. To, plus credits. Yeah, we can't. We can't have people, you know, doing this for an hour as far as just negotiating in a room about video games. We need to actually get to the action scenes. Like I, I can see oh. that being a possibility. It's a shame because I love that stuff. It's a fun first act. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, back to the cast. Neil Patrick Harris also we have here as uh, the analyst. He like, gives you what you want from Neil Patrick Harris, really. Yeah, I mean, it's a very much a type performance. Yeah, which again um, seems by design, right? I mean, yeah. there, there's mm-hmm. no like the, the. It is inevitable. One of my big takeaways is that there's no accidents in this movie. Like, there's yeah. like everything that happens is designed to happen that way. Like it, it might not anyway, be as satisfying. What happened happened and couldn't have happened any other way. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. But no, I mean, he's to a certain extent he's an exposition machine, but. He's a very entertaining way to deliver exposition. He makes the exposition feel like character development, which is very useful for a movie like this. It is, mm-hmm. and especially for a film where you know he's allowed to 
explained so much and in somewhat sometimes tense ways there's a whole scene yeah. in a, a, where a construction like a warehouse yeah that where trinity's being threatened essentially and i think it's a very tense mm-hmm. sequence and he's doing yeah. all he needs to in that scene but also all of the scenes involving him and any other any other person a lot of talking in this movie they all look interesting like there's no yeah. like poorly shot scene here like everything looks like everything has a, there's something going on in every frame of this movie which i found to be quite fascinating and- in a minor thing that I know other people have written about this in detail, the therapy scenes feel a lot more authentic than you usually get in a movie like this. Yeah. Uh, in a way that I thought was very poignant. I mean, yes, he's technically the bad guy, and I don't think anyone's surprised by that reveal at any point in time, but it seems like they did their homework in terms of you know, trauma therapy and PTSD and what have you. It's not just a couple offhand lines that they can write a giant think piece about how this movie's all about trauma. Well, not to, you know, suggest what Wachowski's gone through, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's drawing from a lot of reality. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and Um, there's those scenes of Neo taking the blue pill all the time that's really effective and feels grounded in in some fashion. Like, it's hard to watch him do it. That whole whole White Rabbit montage, I think, is excellently executed Mm -hmm. in the film. Like, it's it's a great display of the mundanity that he's going through and the existential crisis that is about to break out of his head that he's technically already had. (laughs) That we're just kind of seeing the the fallout from all of it. Yeah, you know something he doesn't at at a lot of that, but you're you're also thinking maybe you don't know something that he does. It's, It's a really weird dichotomy they build before they reveal that world again like it's... well and the the many immediate differences between what we've seen in the original films and what we're seeing now prevents us from being in a position where we're just waiting for neo to catch up with the continuity that we already know because we don't know how much of that continuity still applies which is yes which is which is why it's good that it's not necessarily a waiting game like i know some yeah. movies can be and can be annoying for that yes we're ahead of neo to a point but we don't know what the status quo is so it's yes. like what what is the convergence that we're gonna have and i do think the movie smartly knows how to you know toy with that be, because it's relying I'm, on mm-hmm. footage from the past to like get us there to begin with it's like wait how, how much does that count or what what are we going for here but i'm never like come on just show us already like i'm never like that i'm like something's up here like i never trust that I'm never trusting that what I knew before is going to apply now. Like I never do. Uh, and I'm intrigued as to what it's going to be rather than hurry up and get to it. What are some of the flaws that you see now, Scott, I know you've mentioned some things already, but Brandon, I wanted, I'm curious for you and I have some as well, but what are the, what are some of the, like the, the issues you might've had with this film? I, I do think there like, so I've only seen it once and there was a, a little point. Uh, we talked about the scene in the garage where, uh, Neil Patrick Harris stops and mm-hmm. unveils what has happened. Like right somewhere pacing wise, right up to that point, I was like, I was kind of feeling like the movie, I was scared that the movie had settled in and this is what it was and all this stuff. And then that scene kind of kickstarted again. So there's like some sort of lull there. That it's a I long movie. Exper- I mean, it's, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I was experiencing, but that kickstarted and it just ran off from there for me i was i was there the whole time but like there was just this little thing where i i was fearing the movie got content and i was like because at that point i'm still stunned that this most of this movie got through from that studio and then that to find the whole thing delivered on its promise that was one thing and as i mentioned before you know i i do like the action in this but there were some cool things in action sequence that i wish would have been a little more 
played around with a little more or lingered on a little bit more. There's like cool quick shots, but as longer sequences, I don't know. But as I said, the movie, that's not where the movie's head is at most of the time. And it's never supposed to be at that. So um, that's an expectation of mine going in. That's just not maybe a little bit underserved, but there are some terrific action sequences. And I will say the Merovingian scene, that action sequence isn't, what it feel like it could have been like um and having watched recently the original stair sequence of when the merovingian shows up i don't know but part, part of the problem i think is the merovingian himself because they keep editing him in every two seconds and it's like yeah i don't need to keep seeing him like i get it like, just show me the fights that are happening in this scene right right but that, oh. that's about all i would no i think you know overall nitpicks and whatever notwithstanding i think the film works you know and i think to its credit it's not trying to start a new trilogy Mm -hmm. it's not really even trying to continue the series it's sort of an epilogue yeah and i think at its best it feels like it very similar to toy story 4 which was also a decades later epilogue where after the main story was over you still had one more little story where the protagonist finally started making a grand decision for himself. Like, okay, I've saved the world of Andy's toys. Now I'm going to make myself happy. Just you wait uh, until Lightyear really brings it all together. God, don't, don't jinx oh, it. Oh, man, at the end, when Lightyear, when he goes to a faraway land and it's the Old West, that's going to be something. And we cut to the Chris Evans re-recording dialogue for Toy Story rides and theme park stuff for Disney World. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then in the booth, you see just a revolver point in his back, and it goes, reach for the sky. And then, and then it, the Pixar. <laughs> and it's Tim out. Allen. <laughs> um, I don't, I mean, my, I've talked about the action. I do think there's just editing choices that reflect modern times in ways that aren't the most beneficial. But, I mean, there are, again, it's really just that one sequence. Like, the rest of it, <laughs> there's some cool stuff. Like, I really like the opening of this film. It's a, It's a fun play on the original film as well as doing its own thing by incorporating the the doors and all that and just because of the way you can do effects out just like the way they're using gravity defining type stuff like defying type stuff like i think this works it does end a bit abrupt like that that's one of my things that like i've watched it twice and i was like oh it just kind of stops here it's like she they just kind of like give a speech to neil patrick harris and you're like okay now we're flying away and it's like oh this is the first one he made a phone call flew away even then, like, that, you know, significant thing. I mean, I know what you're saying, and I don't disagree. It's more of, I think it's down to, I like this too much for it to end right this second. Like, so I just see this ending, and it just, the the way that speech is written between the two of the Trinity and, and Neo talking to the analyst about everything, and it's like, I, I guess we're, that's it. That's a, that's a wrap on this one. It's a curtain call. Okay. Like, it just kind of stops. It's like, I, I, I would have liked to see more. I don't necessarily need another sequel. It just feels like, oh. Okay, we're done. No, in terms of, you know, I, I the opening action sequence is interesting. Uh, the office shootout did nothing for me. To be fair, it's supposed to be like a hazy fever dream. I understand that's the intent, but still in terms of visceral entertainment, it was just okay. And yeah, the big fight in the in the sewers or wherever they were with the Maricobian and his buddy, that did nothing for me. And then the motorcycle, honestly, and this I know this may not be fair, but I got flashbacks of the later born sequels, which is like, oh, I guess the we ones we like more than you. Okay. <laughs> Did you like Jason Bourne? 
<laughs> but you said the sequels. I mean, I know you don't. You're not a big Ultimatum fan either, and I think Ultimatum. Well, no, pretty great. I, okay, the last three of them, where it's like, okay, I guess we have to have an action scene here. Someone jump on a car and start chasing. Um, I mean, that is a staple of Bourne movies. Though. I mean, they're chase films. I mean, yeah. Even if you don't like Jason Bourne, you don't want to walk into Jason Bourne and be like, I hope he just talks to people the whole time. I mean, you want to see him get into a huge car chase. Well, that's why I like the Bourne identity. <laughs> uh, but no, it, it, so that motorcycle chase, again, it felt, and this is partially because of the, the rules of the world. Is like, are the people he's fighting real or are they bots, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There wasn't, for me, a lot of narrative urgency. There wasn't a lot of suspense. There wasn't a lot of stuff that you hope to find in an action scene. You don't think there's some suspense, though? In the, I mean, I mean, if you don't, if the rules are unclear, the rules are unclear. But you, did, you don't find some suspense in the idea that there's this swarm mode they've introduced where they can just take hor- cool. hordes of, of basically free mind or you know whatever matrix minds yeah. and mm-hmm. just turn them into agents at their will and have them zombie like combing at everybody like that's i mean there's there's stakes there there's scariness to involving something like that like anybody no, that stuff is I mean, again i got i got suicide squad flashbacks where it's like oh are these people real are we supposed to be cheering to them machine gunning innocent people oh man but whatever that's my problem Define um, real they were people made <laughs> by robots um, and to the credit, I mean, to the people at hand, like it's more, it's more, it's Neo and Trinity on a motorcycle, you know, pushing them back, not mowing them yeah. down. Whereas Bugs and Morpheus and those very well-defined other people that were on her ship are all <laughs> trying Eight to go. One. No, <laughs> they're all, uh, you know, they're which just. Which is another you know, issue I had with it. And again, this is less of an issue because they're not trying to restart the franchise. But I do feel that. To a certain extent, like, you know, this is a better film, so bear with me, like Terminator Dark Fate, like Independence Day Resurgence, you know, it certainly put far more of a premium on the returning characters versus trying to get us to care that much about the newbies. I mean, yeah, Um, like you said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't doesn't matter because it's not starting to start anything. And as you just said, it's an epilogue to their story, not these new people. Well, in terms of the the, are they gunning down people – I think from my from my understanding, when you're taking over in the original Matrix, when you're taken over by Mo Smith, they basically took that person and they were done. They were flushed down. And when they take over like a swarm, they have the Matrix itself has sacrificed that person for that. They're gone. They'll have to regrow them and put them in when they do that. Like, I don't think they swarm and then come back. Like, so that is just that that's the Matrix already having excised that life beforehand so i don't take it as mowing down a person i think it was mentioned in one of them or something like that or maybe i'm maybe i'm thinking of the animatrix which count no but you're you're absolutely and you know again uh, this entire conversation is basically being me explaining why it's a three-star movie instead of a four-star movie and i do think i liked them 20 you know 18 years ago and in the meantime i become very fond of the sequels Mm mm-hmm and what they came to represent. And I do think I was sort of thrown for a little bit of a loop by this being so wildly different than the other ones. That's fair. But yeah. again, that's, as I said, it's well, that's like, I was I hoping for that when I yeah. went in, though. I was hoping for it to be wildly different than the other ones, but or I, in a good way, because I sure. didn't want to, yeah. I didn't want to be uh, expecting the same thing again. It's also, it's also for me, it's, I mean, if you, 
want to argue like what's separating it from being a you know quote unquote masterpiece in my eyes versus just a very good movie that I liked a lot. It does come down to like how much story they're trying to tell within one movie. I mean, that was my biggest issue with Jupiter Ascending. It felt like we only have one chance at this, so let's just tell all three stories within one film. Yeah. This feels somewhat similar. It's more of we don't want to do this again. Let's just let's just tell one big matrix story so we can satisfy Warner Brothers and get this stuff out of our system based off whatever thoughts that we have and we can do it here. And it is crammed full of like, not that it bothers me necessarily, but from the reviews I've read that are negative, but at least consider what's going on, it does feel like that's one of their thoughts. It's like there's so much exposition here, there's so much story trying to be told, it feels like they're cramming a lot through one door. Like I can understand that criticism for this. There's a lot to take in. And that said, the 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 the, the medium of film is not something that necessarily needs to be consumed just once to have a final word right. on it. So, I mean, it's you don't look at a painting once. I mean, you can watch movies more than now. Yes, it's not necessarily fair to require someone to watch something multiple times in order to get it fully, but the option is there for you to do so, and you can mm-hmm. appreciate it as such. Brandon, you were looking forward to yeah, watching no, it again. Yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, also, Wachowski's doing this uh, moves the goalpost further from Warner Brothers making it on their own without them. Yeah. So they're probably yeah. not going to retouch this property. It like, has a clear ending here and a clear desire to not continue. Revisit Animatrix stuff, make an anthology series where you can do stupid things you want. That's the that's that's the immediate future. If you want to do uh, Old Age Trinity and uh, Neo down the line, you now have moved that further away. Oh, like they, they probably can, another ten. Years. They'll they can still do the Michael B. Jordan Morpheus prequel story that was rumored for years. <laughs> wow. I'm sure that's that's still in their back pocket, I'm sure. (laughs) I mean, you also, you sit there, you have five previous Neos that you can make trilogies and stuff out of two if they wanted. But that seems like like great Animatrix fodder, honestly. Exactly. I mean, it does. Like, I think that's the, that's with this franchise, that's the best way to go. Animatrix live action, Animatrix-esque, and little one-off stories that play with the concept, like explore that. That's where you explore these things rather than having a uh, voice with everything, a personal touch. If you want to get adventure, if you want to get uh, like heavier mythology esque, that is something that a creator is not really concerned with when making true art with their um, pictures. That's where you go with it, and, and that's well, that, you know, you know. And the other thing is that you know you could just say that. This property is done. <laughs> yeah. You know, we don't, have, you know, again, I, that's not directed at you in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, I wasn't, you know, begging for another Matrix film. The extent that I was excited about this was mostly because I liked the people involved, and the first trailer was dynamite. I, I don't mean, think anyone was begging for one. I think yeah. it was, there was a hesitancy if there yeah. were to be more. Like, that was that was uh, the thing. And when Wachowski, when she came back, when Lana came back, it was like, well, she's got something to say, or else yeah. there's no way in hell she'd come back. No, that's that's been oh. my whole thing since this was announced. It's like well, that's what I've been trying to tell be, people. Because yeah. when it when yeah. it was announced, it wasn't just we're making another Matrix. It's but guess what? Lana Wachowski, Keanu Reeves, and Carrie M. Moss are coming back to make a Matrix. So right now, right there, I'm like, Wachowski's coming. Okay, and they're bringing back the two dead stars of the film. Like, now I'm very right. curious what that's going to be. <laughs> well, and when the trailer dropped, and people were like, "Oh, legacy," I'm like, "No, just wait. No, this is not going to be." hold on like she didn't come back to do this like what in her catalog has told you that she's gonna just unless there's some, like, 
huge project she was promised like to do this <laughs> like a beyond belief project a bound cinematic universe like no yeah and I, I think i don't know if we mentioned it on the matrix commentary or not that we matrix reloaded it was like you know one of the reasons i was interested in this picture is none of them had to do it yeah right no, um, not no single person okay and all right, so we've talked about this plenty. <laughs> it's just a bonus episode, so I I I, I like what we what we got into here, and I I do look forward to seeing what comes next as far as you know how this stops and what that prompts because I do think Brandon, you're on the best track as far as if you're going to do something animated spinoff seems to be like the and based off the box office receipts, I can only imagine that'd be the appropriate pivot they would take if they still feel like they need to mine something from this franchise. That's what they're yeah. doing with Blade Runner, so go for that with. Animatrix. Yeah. So, uh, when should people go and see this movie? It's currently in theaters and IMAX. Brandon, when should people it's see too this? Too late. It already flopped. Okay. <laughs> I I mean I'm theater. It's a Wachowski movie. I mean, and you have the the thing is you have a rich litter right now in theaters of great directors and good films to go with them. And this is I consider this one of them. Uh, and you're probably going to go see Spider-Man, but I would say you could go see this too to get that spectacle or HBO Max if you don't feel comfortable going. Scott? I mean, you know, health concerns notwithstanding, IMAX, Dolby Vision, sit as close as you're comfortable and just drink it all in. Spider-Man owns the IMAX, guy. You can't go see Matrix in IMAX. <laughs> there are showtimes. They did it, well, yeah, we had one. For now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not by Friday. But no, I mean, and, you know, if for whatever reason you don't feel comfortable going to a theater, put it on the biggest TV, turn off all the lights, lie down on your beanbag chair, and just... I hear you. I don't disagree. Nice Matrix don't watch Revolution on your laptop. <laughs> what was that? You went to oh, the yeah. source there for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with what's being said. I do recommend this movie heartily. I think it's pretty fantastic for what we got out of it, and... um it deserves to be seen on a big screen if you can. Obviously, the max options available as well. Uh, great score, by the way. It sounded. It's a great sounding movie. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot to appreciate from that. Um, but yeah, all right. Um, that's that's it for this bonus episode. Where can people find more of your guys' work online, Brandon? Uh, the Brandon Peter Show, thebrandonpetershow.com. I'm currently on a little break for myself, take some time off. But uh, you have this. Uh, Probably do some videos during that time, and there's old space shows. So, brandpetershow.com, uh, Twitter, Instagram, at brand4kuhd, and uh, yeah. Scott Mendelson? Uh, Forbes.com. Google some variation of Forbes, Scott Mendelson, the ticket booth. I'm at Twitter at, at Scott Mendelson, and that's pretty much it. You can find everything I do over at Why So Blue and We Live Entertainment.com. I have some stuff on Variety occasionally as well, and I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. And all my stuff ends up at my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Uh, you can find this podcast everywhere. You can find podcasts, iTunes, Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, all that. Uh, email us at outnetpocketsgmail.com. Find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We have all our handles and everything there. Uh, Brandon, Scott, thank you both for joining me for this Matrix conversation. Thank you. You're very welcome. Glad to have had it and glad to have once again freed our minds. Uh, that's going to do it for this bonus episode. So until next time, so long and goodbye. One man.